Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. What are we replacing here? What are you doing? See, everybody, we now live in the age of Twitter, which campaigns to get people fired. This has been a campaign going back to when he fired Kellen Moore. And so when, he, when you couldn't criticize his offensive acumen, now you turn on, well, he's a bad head coach. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefei. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Veasan. I'm your host Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Our producer Elliot Bowman with us on the ones and twos. Michael, they did it. Uh, the Cowboys. I, I come to you as, as as a broken man, frustrated after the reports from last night. Dallas Cowboys will retain Mike McCarthy as he enters the final year of his five-year contract, and this is uh, it's disappointing. It, it's, it's incredibly disappointing. I, I want to get your quick thoughts before Why? I get into my thing, but it's, it's disappointing. All right. Well, my thoughts are really – I never thought Jerry was going to do it. His quarterback had his best year ever. His quarterback had his best year ever. He has to sign his quarterback. I mean, yeah, 12, they were disappointed. They got outcoached, outclassed in that game, no question. They won the division. He's the winningest coach in Cowboy history, just for the record. Winningest coach in Cowboy, 62% winning percentage. But to me, I think everybody misread this. When you're old and you're in your 80s, everybody thinks you have a sense of desperation. I'm going to die soon. I got to get this right. There's some merit to that. But there's also stronger merit to the conversation of, I don't really want to change and go through it all. I don't have the energy to do that. Can't we just fix what we have? Can't we make what we have better? Are we really ready to just tear everything down and start again? I don't, this is a hard thing to do. I don't know who's the next coach. I really don't know him. He doesn't know me. Does he get used to the, you know, the situation, how we do business here in Dallas? I think everybody thought because Jerry was getting up there that he was desperate to go win one and he would pull all the punches. And I think at the end of the day, Jerry's tired of change, doesn't really want change, and he'd rather repair than replace. Well, Jerry Jones t- talks like he's a desperate man every year. He talks about how I'd sell my soul for another Super Bowl and how the, the money that I would pay in this world to get a Super Bowl is a ridiculous amount to try to get one. He talks about how, like, hey, we want, like, that's exactly what he wants is a Super Bowl, but no, th- then we're doing status that's quo. That's his conversation. You're, you're, you're confusing, you're confusing his goals with, with the tactics to get there. You're confusing that. You have viewed his tactics. Remember, there's strategy and then there's tactics. The strategy is the plan. We want to go win the Super Bowl. The tactics are who's going to execute the plan and how is the plan getting executed, okay? There lies the difference. You keep taking what he says as tactics when it's really, that's his, he's trying to get there. That's the strategy of the company. And what he's saying is he would do anything to get there. And but why would I why would I throw out 70 percent of what's good to bring in somebody that, I, you know, that I'm not sure is going to be able to return 70 percent of good? Well, you could say he could hire Vrabel, he could hire Belichick, he could hire Harbaugh. The way they operate in that building, I'm not sure it's conducive to everybody that's out there. OK, for example, when McCarthy was in Green Bay, Ted Thompson did all the personnel. Ted Thompson ran personnel. McCarthy had ver- McCarthy coached the team. Thompson picked the players. Now, we had Big Daddy on, right? Nobody was more – when I asked Big Daddy the first question about Ted Thompson, I was expecting him to destroy him because he's been destroying him for years, God rest his soul. But he went soft. You know, he's, like he said, well, I didn't want to go too hard. Nobody – you know, I didn't want to make anybody mad. I, well, Big Daddy, nobody really knows who you are, so you can make anybody mad, right? So, like, like that's the reality. But Thompson picked all the players. He picked all the players. And McCarthy operated within that system, never complained. Rank and file guy did exactly what they told him to do in terms of player personnel. Coached the ones he had. 
Same thing that's happening in Dallas. Stephen Jones, Will McClay, they do a good job of personnel. They have complete control over the personnel department with no interference from the coaches, right? They run it. You bring in Bill, Bill's gonna wanna Bill's gonna wanna know who's how we're shopping. You know, they've seen Bill's program with Parcells, so they know that. They know what would be at stake if they did that. They kind of know Vrabel. They also know Harbaugh. If they know Harbaugh, if they've made enough phone calls, they know Harbaugh. So I think from a structural standpoint, they're sitting there saying to themselves, we're better off with a coach who's the winningest coach in the least, won the division two out of three years. He's got a 62% winning percentage here. He's won, he's won 42 games. You know, and, you know, he's got 167 career wins, which are more than Sean Payton, which people talk about while he's great. He's only got six less wins than Mike Tomlin, which people say is great. He's got seven more wins than John Harbaugh. And they all have about the same playoff record and Super Bowl record. So, like, what are we replacing here? What are you doing? See, everybody, we now live in the age of Twitter, which campaigns to get people fired. This has been a campaign going back to when he fired Kellen Moore. Mm-hmm. And so when, he, when you couldn't criticize his offensive acumen, now you turn on, well, he's a bad head coach. Look, I think he did a horrible job in the, in the, in the round. I think, he mis- I think they, I was told reliably, I think, that you could tell in pregame that that they really thought it was going to be a route. Like, I don't think that they were prepared for what they were walking into with Green Bay. And that falls on McCarthy's shoulders. Yep. It does. I'm not absolving him from that. Really disappointing. But there's enough good stuff in McCarthy to just sit there and say from your basement in Des Moines as you're having some meatloaf to fire the guy. But I've been on record, and we talked about it on Monday. Like I said, I think he's a good coach. I just think that this iteration of the Cowboys has hit the head on their ceiling. Like, 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 like they don't, they cannot go higher than what they've gone. And yeah, he's twelve and five in the last three years, but they're also one and four in the postseason. And they've also lost in the wild card round in two of the last three years at home as favorites. Like that is underachieving by every sense of the imagination. And if you can't get to over the hump, which has been the divisional round since 1995 for the Cowboys then like, what are we doing? And I get the part that he's 70% of the good and all that. And like, he's, he, I do believe he is a good coach, but I mean, this is about trying to win a championship. This is about trying to win a Super Bowl. Do you well, really you have hiring? faith? Who are you hiring? I mean, yeah, but that, that, that's the alternative. And I, I thought that there who could have been hiring? interest in Belichick, but I guess they, they didn't want to turn over all the keys and, and be able to be collaborative in, in terms of the personnel. Vrabel's out there. I mean, Harbaugh's out there. But like you mentioned, maybe they just wanted to run things the way they wanted to run. And in my belief... That's why we're here where we are. It's because the Jones family wants to run things the way they want to run them. And if they can look at the and be honest with themselves over the last 30 years, is this the best, best way to go forward? Or should we maybe make a change and try to do something different? Because the last 30 years have told you you haven't been able to win in January when it matters most. Yeah, but here's the, here's the point you're missing. As you sit in your seat and look from afar, they're the ones who paid the money to buy the team. So you're not changing how they do business. They're just not going to do it. No matter how much you want to rant, rave, and all that, they're not changing how they do. But no owner fires himself. Never. No owner fires himself. And they're not going to fire them. This is who they are. They're the, they're the, the biggest brand in football. They're, they're, they're popular. They're, they're lining their pockets with finances. They're spreading the wealth to the players. I'm not accusing them of that. But they have everything they want, uh, you know. Now, are they not getting where they want to go? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I would never say Stephen or Jerry don't have an appetite to win. They do. But they're winning in a lot of areas. And you just think by running McCarthy out and bringing somebody in is going to fix all that. You know, I, I don't happen to agree with that. I think, I think to me, the game on Sunday, on when was it, Sunday or Saturday? Yeah, Sunday afternoon. I forget. Anyway, it's the perfect example, the perfect example of why I keep saying to any young general manager, any young head coach, okay, that until you understand this in its completeness, you'll never succeed. Sunday was the perfect example. Dan Quinn's defense was atrocious, atrocious. Lack communication, they lack the ability to fix the problems, all that. And Dan knows this. I'm not being critical. I'm, I'm saying what I see. But here what, here's what happened after they got beat. Dan Quinn now has three interviews, Seattle, 
Washington. I think he has Carolina too, right? He has more than three. I, think I don't know. Does he have Carolina or Tennessee? Carolina, yep. Right. He, okay. So he got three head coaching interviews. This proves my point. The only two people in the building where winning matters is the head coach and the general manager. Everybody else can get a job. Everybody else can advance their career with a good night. Even if you don't have a good night, you can. Even if you're on a team that doesn't do well. I mean, you know, Marcus Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, he's getting interviews. Right? Like, so, like, it doesn't matter if you don't understand that. If Shane Steichen doesn't understand that, if Kevin O'Connell doesn't understand that, then he's never going to drive his assistants to the point where you have to drive them to. Right? You've got to really bring out the most of all that. And I think, to me, this is living proof. Like, if you watch that tape, and you're really an objective general manager, and you watch Quinn, and you watch Raheem Morris the next day, it's not close. Raheem Morris's defense made adjustments with lesser talent. With less talent, yeah. Right? With lesser talent, and fixed it, gave up 86 yards in the second half. It was by far a brilliant. Now, you say, well, Raheem was a disaster as a head coach. Okay, he was really young. He was really young as a head coach, probably wasn't ready to walk into Gruden's shoes when he took that job. You know, and Quinn was good. I'm not trying to say Quinn shouldn't get a job. I'm not. But what I'm saying is, you know, if you're just going to be objective, these jobs are selected, not elected. These jobs are elected, not selected. And Dan's got tremendous. Dan's not taking any of the heat for Sunday. It's all on McCarthy's shoulders. When the defense was atrocious, they never could get control of the game. So that's my point. Like, I think you got to understand the dynamics of that. And I think if I'm Jerry, and if I were advising Jerry, I would sit there and say, okay, why did we lose? Okay, why did we lose this game? I think we took them, we weren't as good as we needed to be on defense. We don't have any linebackers. Our defensive line, you know, Maisie Smith didn't make it. That, that wasn't working. We're not a great man-to-man cover team. You know, we got to fix some of the things on defense. Offensively, we suck on the road. We need better offense. Like, everything I'm telling you here is about players. Everything I'm telling you is about players. I'm not telling you about shitty scheme. I'm not telling you about this. Now, I'm not absolving McCarthy of not being, of making mistakes. But I think when you just demand the coach go, when you just say fire him, without a plan in place, bad. I, the, the no plan in place is definitely the problem there. But I still believe that there's enough talent on this roster to where they should have been able to get by the wild card round. Like, like that, that to me is where it's like, I, I, I get that the players and like that stuff has been a, has been a problem, but I mean, this is a seven point favorite at home like where, where you've been dominant all season long and for you to not come out prepared, like, like that's like, that's an indictment of the head coach. And that's the head coach that's coming back. And next okay, year, they'll well, win, they'll win 12 more the games. Of some of the other head coaches, I mean, John Harbaugh had that mistake happening with Tennessee. Did you fire him? Well, can't wait for next year's 12 win season and one and done. We'll talk some other stuff on the other side. This is GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
so Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, has gotten four head coaching interviews. But the Cowboys are bringing Mike McCarthy back. If Quinn does not get one of these head coaching jobs, is it the full run it back down in Dallas, Michael, for 2024? I'm I'm sure they're going to make some adjustments. I, I don't know the inner workings of their staff. You know, I think that if Dan left, the name I would look at is Mike Zimmer the former head coach of the Vikings, to come back. They know him well. Uh, because the, he has a great relationship there, and he kind of – he plays a different style of defense than Dan does. But, you know, I, I got to believe everybody seems to think, and, and you know, usually when everybody thinks, not, nobody's thinking, uh, that Quinn's going to get to Seattle. I don't know that. I mean, John Schneider, this is his first opportunity as the general manager of the Seahawks to really go out and hire someone that – that he wants to hire. But he made a very interesting statement, which I thought he did a wonderful job in his press conference, which is really kind of a, he had a hard job, right? He had, a delic- he had to be very delicate. He had to back the owner with this decision. He had to back his best friend, Pete, who gave him his opportunity in football to be the GM. Marty Schottenheimer did too, but only lasted one year. So he, had a, he, had a, he couldn't sit there and badmouth Pete, which he mm-hmm. would never do. And then he also had to kind of lift up the organization and what he said in that press conference was, we want somebody with, with Pete's positivity. Now, is that Raheem Morris? I don't know, but, but that's Dan Quinn. But that's Dan Quinn. So we'll see what happens. I don't know the inner workings. Here's what I do know. You know, you keep saying, I'm going to ask you the question, and everybody who wants Mike McCarthy fired, if that's true, if you want Mike McCarthy fired, then if John Harbaugh loses on Sunday or Saturday, then you should want him fired, Right. Because these are all the same people. They want Mike Tomlin fired. They want this guy. Everybody wants these guys fired, right? If you want that guy fired, then you should. If, if Sean Payton, he didn't get to the Super Bowl. I mean, McCarthy's got a better record. Now, everybody gives credit to Aaron Rodgers. I get that. Okay. All right. You know, everybody, it's so easy. Just one player can do it, right? It's so easy, which is the laziest narrative of all. So, like, if, if Harbaugh loses, you want him fired? Like, I think their team is, is kind of overachieved. You say underachieved. I don't think they're as good on defense as you think they are. I think they got a great player. I think they lost, all their, they lost their linebackers. They were depleted at linebacker. I don't know how good they are. I mean, they're playing Jonathan Hankins, who got cut by the Raiders at defensive tackle. Maisie Smith didn't do shit for him this year. Like, I, I, and I think that offensive line is broken. Like, I think Zach Martin's still a good player. Tyron Smith isn't very good. You know, I think Tyler Smith's going to be a really good player. But this isn't like, oh, shit, this is an elite line. You know, it's I, I still believe that they've underachieved just because of their home playoff losses. That, that That's where my thing is that, like, we talk about the Cowboys being at home. You get the Niners two years ago. You get a billion penalties in that game. You lose that one. The Niners beat you up in your home building. And then this one, I mean, from Jump Street, they didn't look like they were ready to play. They were not prepared. That's why I use the word underachieve, even though, yeah, they've gone over their win total every I, I don't year disagree and all with that, that stuff. But I don't disagree you, you, with that. I, I'm but not arguing with you on this game. I'm, I'm, I thought they did a horseshit job. But that's the crux but, of the issue, though, for I, me, I, though. It's in the playoffs. It's like, what are you going to do right, in, but, in January? So you're going to. Well, you, you got to figure out why you lost and why, and why you need to, what do you need to change now? You know, look, we're seeing this. We're going to talk about, let's, and we'll go to it now. Let's talk about Philadelphia, mm-hmm. right? Philly, if you're Philly and you are, if, if you're Philadelphia, this pattern of being poor has gone on for six, seven weeks, okay? And you did nothing to fix it. You know, everybody, remember when they signed Shaq Leonard and you were depressed because you didn't get him? And I told you if, <laughs> if, if the Colts cut him on a guaranteed deal, how, what does that tell you? Did you hear his name mentioned the other night? Did he even play for the Eagles the other night? Uh, did he play in the last six weeks? <laughs> I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't see him out there. I mean, come on. Like, I think we're, I think if the fault of the Eagles were when you watch them, you could tell their practices must have been walkthroughs. Their practices must have been – like they had no – they weren't in shape. They had no fundamentals and techniques that were refined. And as the season went on and the further they got away from training camp, this became the issue. So, you know, when they go down – I mean, they're slow on defense. You cannot deny that. They're slow as shit on defense. Old. They can't cover. And they're old. And the defensive line was crap. 
And that was the strength of their team. So, like, okay, you can say, well, well, Sirianni didn't rec- – see, part of the job of a head coach is to figure out what you have to work on from week 8 to week 16 to get your team ready to play at the next level. And the Eagles kept having those dangerous wins and they never really fixed any of their problems because they never really practiced. They had an old team. It's kind of a combination of a lot of things. And so, you know, is Sirianni's job should be in jeopardy? Well, I mean, he did hire the two coordinators, so you got to worry about that. But you could fix it if you get the right court. I mean, if he would have been able to hire Nick, uh, Vic Fangio, the defense would have been much better. So I think sometimes it's so easy just to remove the coach that you don't know the problems that you inherit. I, and I was told reliably that, they're, that Howie and Nick are making phone calls to defensive coaches around the league. So if they're both doing that, maybe. But then again, as Elliot brought up in our pre uh, pre. Uh, show uh, notes, Doug Peterson did the same thing and Peterson, you know, and, and presented the plan to Jeffrey and it wasn't the plan he wanted. So he could make a change, but I don't see it. I, I do see it if he doesn't win next year. That I do see. Mm-hmm. And I, I was on Follow the Money on Tuesday, our show here at VEASAN, and they asked me about Sirianni. And, and I said I'd keep Sirianni if I was Jeff Lurie or if, or if he asked me for my advice for some reason. It's like, what, would I, what, what should I do with Sirianni? Like, like to me... Going to a Super Bowl last year, winning 11 games this year, I get that the season ended poorly in the second half of the year, but there's at least still, like, there's at least been shown examples of winning and winning when it matters. Like, the Eagles have done that here, and I thought it had been a little bit of an overreaction to go ahead and fire him. I guess the, the, the path forward, though, for Sirianni is that you got to clean up the defensive coordinator spot. In me, offensive coordinator, too, like, what, what Brian Johnson was doing there – Hurts looked the worst that he's looked in a long time. Monday night, like, like that. I don't know what happened with that offense. The old line oh, was no, still he intact. Looked, he, looked he looked as bad. bad as he he. Look, this has been going on for a long time now. Like their inability to handle the blitz just didn't happen in Tampa that night. I mean, they took the Don Martindale game plan. They took yeah. the Jonathan. Ga- I mean, people are attacking them, and they have no answer for it. Like it, you talking about strategy and tactics, right? Like, you're Nick Sirianni, and if I were Jeffrey Lurie, this is what I'd be. Hey, Nick, you're an offensive coach. We're paying you a lot of money. Like, why couldn't we fix the overload pressures? Why couldn't we fix the, the, uh, the zero blitzes? Why, why didn't we have an answer? Uh, and I'm asking that question not second-guessing, but first-guessing, not second-guessing, but first-guessing. Like, you knew going in the game they were going to bring everything they had. Like, why didn't we have a really good plan for it in the game? Like, we had nothing. Every time we threw it hot, they tackled us for a three-yard loss. Like, to me, that is the issue. Like, you can say whatever you want about McCarthy, but that offense was – he ran the offense. Sirianni doesn't run the offense. He let that – but he can't even fix it. See, this is the bigger issue. And then the issue really in Philly is, is who – why are they practicing the way they practice? And I don't know how they practice. I really don't. But just when you miss that many tackles, you're not practicing. When your fundamentals are all screwed up, you don't, you're not, you don't have hard practices. They're so interested in being fresh in load management that they forget about football as a game of fundamentals, techniques, and tackling. Well, we got a little bit of a glimpse about how they I mean, practice. I mean, the Hargrave quote. Exactly. The Hargrave quote was revealing. It was really revealing. And, but you could see it on tape. Yeah, and Javon Hargrave earlier uh, last month said that it's more of a Golden State Warriors vibe, which, I mean, the Warriors have won a bunch of championships for you NBA fans out there, but he says that going to San Francisco is like a heat culture. Like, like this is like Pat, Kyle Shanahan is Pat Riley, and it is much, much different practices are much harder with the 49ers than they were with the Philadelphia Eagles. But we also heard from another Eagles defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox, after the game was asked about Nick Sirianni's job security, and he defended his head coach. What is it, what is it to talk about, man? Because, man, he's a winner. He's a winning head coach. You know, do we have some bumps this year? Yeah, but every team, every organization, everybody everybody goes through it. But we don't look at firing a man who, you know, obviously has won 10-plus games two years in a row, that's took this organization to three playoff appearances three years in a row. You know, that's a respect. Yeah, well, the, the, that's a veteran presence in the locker room that was has been there for quite some time, since 2011, I believe, uh, Fletcher Cox has been there with the Philadelphia Eagles, and he's back in his head coach, and it sounds like that's kind of where the Eagles are going with this thing. 
Well, I think this. I think Sirianni's got to say, okay, here's who I'm going to hire as my defense coordinator. Here's how I'm going to fix the staff. Here's what I'm going to do with my offensive staff. Here's how I'm going to fix the staff. And here's he's got to. I think he's got to be honest and present the plan to to Jeffrey about why this team went and is it related to their analytics and strength and conditioning? Because that 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 clearly does it. The, Game, you know, there's a saying in New England, or was in New England, it's, uh, you know, practice execution makes game reality. And when it's practice execution is shitty, game reality is shitty. And you don't do what, you don't give up all the things that they gave up and have no ability to run the football, can't control the line of scrimmage. When you build your whole program on offensive and defensive linemen, and, you, you know, you gave up 31, to, you gave up 31 uh, 35 to the Cardinals. She gave up 32 to Baker Mayfield. And mm-hmm. it could have been more. It could have been more. Yeah. I, I mean, it could have been way more. And so, like, there's a huge problem here. And I think it's just not – and Nick's got to answer – because clearly, clearly, somebody in Philadelphia – after week 11, when they were winning these close games but weren't playing well and they went to the bye week. After that bye week, they didn't, Al Davis used to say this all the time, the greatness of an organization is in the ability to anticipate problems, not react. They didn't anticipate the problems, nor did they react to them. You know, when, in 14, when we went to the Super Bowl and won, Belichick and I, we had, like some, we had a meeting, and it was all about, that meeting was all about what we have to do with this team we had it in San Diego after we lost to the charge after we lost to the Packers. We flew to San Diego. We're getting ready to play the Chargers. We he and I shared an office space. We had this meeting and we went over like where do we have to go next year? And what do we have to do to improve the team this year to be able to compete at the next level? Now, with him, you never have to worry about practice being easy. You never have to worry about the analytical community coming in and say rest, rest, rest. He figures that out. But that's something that Sirianni's got to do. Yeah, it's proactive versus reactive. And the Eagles are not even reactive this season, and they flamed out. All right, we'll get to Tomlin on the other side. Well, it was a pretty quick speculation cycle for Mike Tomlin there. A lot of people thought Mike Tomlin might step away from the Pittsburgh Steelers. There were some reports <laughs> out there from uh, from those in the, in the in the media space. And then Tomlin was asked about yeah. it after the game, and he walks off of the press well, conference. <laughs> and then tells his team he's coming back the next day. But everybody told us he was going to go spend time with his family, get away, take a break, and then look at it. Uh, I, I don't know. Did that happen? I guess it must have. I don't know when he did it. He got back from Buffalo probably late. You know, maybe his wife and family stayed up and they went over it and they made that quick decision. Who knows? And now, you know, now he's got to get a contract. I mean, this is what, what I said this on the JFK podcast. This, we live in a world where, where the stories are created and the stories can continually perpetuate themselves and they change, right? So mm-hmm. you, you can sit there and say, you know, they, you know, Tomlin was going to do this and now we're going to just change the narrative. Mike, Mike, Mike McCarthy pays the price. But he's a shitty coach, horrible coach. Nobody looks at his record. Nobody sees, nobody, everybody just dismisses that because everybody looks at his record, thinks it's really easy to coach in the NFL. They think it's like no big deal. It's perfectly easy. Like I could do that. Hell, it's easy. All right. So, you know, and then when Mike does something like he did when that when Kellen Moore left and he's better than Kellen Moore, every nobody gives him any credit for they don't change the narrative of that. Nobody stays in Maya Copa and says I was wrong on that, right? So now it's about let's fire Mike. And that momentum came from the media. And so now, you know, Jerry misled the media. Jerry misled the media because he was t- talking about firing Mike, but he never did. I never heard Jerry talk about firing Mike. I, I, I know Jerry was wanted to win playoff game, but I never heard he was talking about firing Mike. But see, the narrative never changes. Nobody changes the, no, ever the narrative because that's the, that's the narrative they want to run. We're going to run this. We're going to kill this until it's dead. I thought Belichick's <laughs> great line was, haven't seen this many people since Tim Tebow was here. <laughs> that was a good Tebow line. was the narrative. Tebow was the narrative. It was like, we're just going to keep feeding Tebow. 
Tebow mania. Boy, you had to be there. <laughs> you had to be there with Tebow mania. But, yeah, the, Tomlin. He moves the meter. He, does. he moves the needle. Everybody wants to. I, I, I don't know. I, how does he. Who cares? Tomlin will he be back. He moves the needle because you put it in front of him. He moves the needle because you constantly make people listen to it. Like, nobody ever sits there and says, I'm tired of listening to this. Like, it's just what it is. It's like they, they constantly want to tame the story is what they want to do. That's the story. And if you're on the wrong side of that story, like McCarthy was, or you can't get out of it. And if you're on the right side of the story, it doesn't matter if you're any good. You're just going to keep going. I mean, you can make an argument that Pete Carroll was on the wrong side of the story when Russell Wilson was in Seattle. Like, having lived that, he was on the wrong right. side of that. And then everybody was like, oh. Uh, how about Brock Purdy? <laughs> He's on the wrong side of the story. Nobody gives Brock Purdy credit. Kurt Warner's on the right side of the story. Now, Kurt Warner goes from being an arena barnstormer, can't, won't even throw a pass in Green Bay. Like, he's, like, mesmerized, signed as a free agent by the Rams, strictly on-the-street free agent, has this unbelievable career at the Rams. Nobody talks about him being Mr. Irrelevant. Nobody talks about him being shitty. Nobody talks about the team around him, which was one of the greatest offensive football teams put together. Nobody said he was a system player. The narrative was he's great. Then he goes to New York Giants, and he really doesn't play well there. And they cut him, and he goes to the Cardinals as a backup, and then he leads them back again. The narrative, that, that, Kurt's a great guy. I don't know what Purdy did to piss people off. Like, I don't understand it. Like, why is Purdy's narrative different than Kurt Warner's? And I'm not saying Purdy's a Hall of Famer, but this is what happens. Tomlin, the narrative we want out there is he's thinking about leaving. It's not even true. Why do you think he was so pissed off about it? Yeah. He just walked off of the, uh, the the podium there at the press conference talking about he had one year left on his contract. Well, he's going to be back, and he's probably going to get an extension, so we can go ahead and put that one to bed. How about the Atlanta Falcons, though? I mean, they're going big game hunting that we've been talking about here during this coaching cycle. They, of course, interviewed both Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh earlier this week, but reports out there that they're going to interview Belichick for a second time. So things are kind of uh, getting going here with Belichick and the Atlanta Falcons. And I think what was really interesting earlier this week, I think it was Jonathan Jones of CBS reported that the Atlanta Falcons last week had the restrictions on head coaches taking lateral jobs amongst their teams in the in, in the league there. And now that those restrictions have been lifted. Assistant coaches. Assistants, yeah. Right. yeah, the assistant yeah. coaches. Like they, weren't, they were not able to take the lateral jobs. Now they can take lateral jobs, meaning that there's a good chance they're going to go ahead and revamp this coaching staff with a new head coach, and is that head coach going to be Bill Belichick? Well, I, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that have to probably get resolved. I, I'm sure the first meeting with Arthur Blank was to get to know you meeting, right? You know, this is I want to get to know you. You want to get to know me. You know, we really, you know, even though we've passed each other at owners meetings, we really don't know. We don't know how I work. We don't know how you work. How do you operate? What's your building like? All those things. And then once we kind of, clear i think they what it was reported a three and a half hours and now okay let's take some time to digest what we both talked about and let's come together and see what we what we can maybe what we could do or what we can't do mm -hmm. and you know i think that that's really a natural these are things that ha these are natural steps i think i wouldn't be surprised if jim harbaugh goes back to the chargers for a second interview I think the Chargers are in a unique position because you know they're having that that family in you know the the, the Dean Spanos's sister. There's kind of like a little bit of a of a feud going on internally, and one of the things and the way these teams have been sold, you got to think that at some point maybe you know they're not going to be able to just hand the team down. You hire a coach like Harbaugh, that that takes the value of your franchise up. 100%. That takes the value of your franchise up. So, I mean, that's something to consider yourself there, too. But, and I'm not suggesting they're trying to sell, but there is conflict within the building, right? There is conflict between the ownership group, I should say, not in the building. And, uh, you know, and that would give everybody an enhancement. So I think these are all, once you go for the second one, this is more about sitting in a room. We're, we're still in the discovery phase, but we're going over everything with a fine-tooth comb to see what is realistic, what isn't, and how we would set this up. Names are starting to have to come into play on who's going to do this job, who would do that job, what role do we want here, who's here, what are we looking for, all that stuff. If you're Arthur Blank and this is the second interview, 
don't you make it a situation where he can't leave without like at least agreeing to being the head coach like you, you don't want him to leave the building and all of a sudden just like okay we'll talk again like at this point if you clearly you guys liked what you heard in the first meeting now you're doing the second well, one i mean if you know bill and you're arthur blank you let him go back and process it you know hmm. i think bill's bill's a and i've said this numerous times bill's a, a measure twice cut once guy like you're not going to rush him into any decision he's going to go back he's going to think about it He's going to take what he learned in the second interview, process it, find more questions that he may want to ask, and then move from there. I, I mean, do I think this goes into two weeks from now? No, no. I think you'll have a resolution probably by the beginning of next week, I would suspect. Or over, you know, and if it gets good, or maybe over the weekend. I think there's things that, you know, there's, these, are, these are really, these are details on what you have to do. <clears throat> and how you have to handle it. Because when you come in like he's going to come in, there, this, he's going to take over an organization. What's the strength department like? What's the conditioning? What is the, you know, what is the analytical department? What's the pro department? How, who handles that? What's the grading system? You know, how do you procure talent? All those things. And, you know, Blank can't answer those questions. He's, I'm sure he doesn't know. He owns the team. Why would he know? Not his job to know, really. I mean, I guess to know some stuff, no, but not no, of everything. of course not. I'm not yeah. being critical of him. Yeah. I mean, he's being smart. He's going to go get himself a CEO head coach. Mm. Yeah, it's a good day to be an Atlanta Falcon fan. If this ends up coming to fruition here, uh, you you got to like that the organization, the direction that they're headed in, especially in that division where there's not a whole lot of, uh, I guess, I mean, franchises with futures. They should, they, they should be – I mean, they're in the South – they're in the middle of the Southeast Conference. You know, people think it's a college town, but it's, you know, look, it, it, if you have the team, you saw the support that Michael Vick had, the Dirty Bird team had. I mean, they're, it's a great sports town, but you're going to have to prove to them you're a great sports team, like any town. And so when you're in that fertile of an area, I mean, I could only imagine, like when you have a, a pro day in, in Atlanta, you're the, head, you're the head coach of Atlanta, you know, when you're in New England, you're relying on Boston College and, you know, there you, you, you got a bunch of schools. You can just, just I'm sure you can find some guy who's been not out of football and probably could come in and, you know, and dazzle you. Yeah, those local days down there in, in Atlanta, or I mean, Dallas, you would think they would have that advantage as well with all the uh, the schools oh, yeah. in that area and all the kids that come from that area uh, as down there in the DFW. Belichick's last Same thing stop. Same Miami. Course, I mean, Miami. 100 percent. Oh, my God, yeah. South Florida has amazing talent, as we've seen throughout the league here. Uh, Belichick's last stop here in New England went ahead and introduced their new head coach, Gerard Mayo. And here's what Mayo had to say at his press conference yesterday about being introduced as Patriots head coach and not trying to be Belichick 2.0. Bill always says this, managing expectations. For me, I'm not trying to be Bill. I'm not trying to be Bill. I think that Bill is his own man. Uh, if you can't tell by now, I'm a little bit different even up here. Uh, but what I will say is, you know, the more I think about, the more I think about, like, the lessons that I've taken from Bill, hard work works, right? Hard work works, and, and that's what we're all about. Gerard Mayo had a it, was a, it was an entertaining press conference there. He also met with some of the local media. He kind of said that we're going to take the best player available at a really important position at that number three overall pick. People have already leapt to saying, hey, it looks like there's a quarterback one, two, three in the draft here. Uh, but what did you make of Mayo's introduction to, to the media there as New England Patriots head coach? I mean, I think he was himself. I think he was genuine with what he was talking about. I think he was right. You know, he's not going to be Bill. I mean, I think, you know, the other questions that were asked is who's going to be the GM? How's that all going to work? Because, look, Mayo can come in and do his role within the organization, but there's 25 other things that Bill did, right? You know, I mean, Bill's probably written up 400 college players already in the draft, you know, so there's a lot of voidedness that's going to have to get replaced. And they've got Mac Rowe, Elliot Wolf, Patrick Stewart. They got guys in there to, to help out with the personnel. But somebody's going to have to coordinate it all as it relates to what Mayo wants. There's always been one clear direction. Mayo's got to give that philosophically to the team. 
There's a new day in New England. Gerard Mayo, youngest head coach in the NFL at 37 years old, and he has some pretty big shoes to fill. And it's like you said, he's not trying to be Bill Belichick. He's going to be Gerard Mayo, and we'll see what that is in 2024. All right, on the other side, we'll get to my favorite weekend in the NFL, Divisional Weekend, coming up next. All right, before we get to the divisional round in our DraftKings betting breakdown here, wanted to hit on the silver and black, the Las Vegas Raiders and their interim general manager, Champ Kelly, has reportedly been present for the Raiders head coaching interviews. This is reported by ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Obviously, if he's going to be in these interviews, you would imagine that he's no longer going to be the interim. He's likely going to be the general manager. And also reports that uh, Antonio Pierce, and Antonio Pierce out here in Las Vegas at the MLK parade this past Monday was talking about how, quote, I don't want to pinch myself yet until it becomes official and we put a stamp on this bad boy. So all indications are that it's the interim tags will be taken off of Champ Kelly and Antonio Pierce, and they'll go ahead and uh, be the new face of this Raiders organization. You know, I, I mean, I think that they've satisfied the Rooney rule, so I'm not sure quite what, what's holding up uh, Mark Davis. You know, he seemed to have no interest in going interviewing or talking to Harbaugh. Now, maybe he has, and we just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't talked to Belichick. Maybe he has. We don't know it. So there's been such a campaign. I have a hard time believing that in the next 48 hours we won't hear something. And if Kelly's sitting in on the interviews, I mean, if I were Kelly, I would be like, do you want me to? I, I really I wouldn't want to go to the interviews unless I was going to be part of it. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not coming to be somebody else's general manager. I'm, I can go out and get another job somewhere else. So I think that's a telltale sign for me. Yeah. And the Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, he's reported what everyone's kind of known here, around here is that there's mounting pressure on owner Mark Davis to retain interim head coach Antonio Pierce. I mean, Max Crosby, the reports about him maybe asking for a trade if they do not hire Antonio Pierce. Devontae Adams kind of gave his stamp of approval, his vote of a confidence for Antonio Pierce's endorsement. So uh, it looks like we're headed towards Champ Kelly and Antonio Pierce, and we'll see what 2024 is like for this iteration of the Las Vegas Raiders. But all right, let's get to the divisional weekend, and we'll start with our DraftKings betting breakdown here on the GM Shuffle presented by DraftKings Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code SHUFFLE because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for the details. And Michael, as we were headed to break, I said this is my favorite weekend in the NFL because we get the four games, we get the Elite Eight teams, and this is when it really starts to get good. The one seeds are off of the buys and we will start with the one seed in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens hosting the upstart Houston Texans. Nine and a half is our number at DraftKings total 43 and a half. Can the Texans shock the world or do you think the rested Ravens uh, flex their muscles Saturday afternoon? Well, I think one of the things you have to know about this round is that this is a home team round. They're 29 and 11 straight up over the last 10 years, the home teams. Now, that doesn't mean they don't cover the spread, but this is really the rest Home teams tend to benefit from this. Uh, it's usually a 3-1 kind of breakdown that it is. There's been some 2-2s. There's never been an 0-4. There's always been a 4. There's been a few 4-0s. But on average, it's been about three home teams win and one road team wins. So, you know, you got to sit there and say, what road team has a really good chance? I think when you look at this game and you go back and watch the first game, which I did, both teams are completely different in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stanley didn't, the right, left tackle for Baltimore didn't play very well. Grunard was very good in that game. The speed of Houston's front was problematic for Lamar because if, you're, if Lamar's going to run around, you got to have people that can catch him, right? you got to have people that can run with him. And this scheme in their front seven can run. You know, but Baltimore's evolution offensively has become much different. They're throwing the ball. They can attack. Uh, and with the Houston team on the road, Femi, I think that's the other thing we don't talk enough about. You know, when you watch them on the road and you see what they've done, this is where you get into a little bit of a snag, right? So, the, you know, when, when you break down their road numbers to their home numbers, now what they've done a great job of, they're not turning the ball over on the road. They only have six turnovers on the road all year. You know, they give up, they give up 19, they score 19 points, they give up 21 on the road. So they're always playing in close games. Their offense has been, you know, when you go back and look at it, 
They've had three games where they've really thrown the ball effectively. And then they've had some games like the, the Jet game or, well, that was with the backup quarterback. But, you know, even when they played Carolina, they struggled to throw the ball. They only threw for 119 yards. So uh, it, it's a different game on the road for them because of the communications, their ability to kind of get in the right play. They don't really have a run game. The last time they played, they did move the ball, but they couldn't get it in the end zone. And when you don't run the football effectively – in the eight road games, okay, they've only rushed for 108, 109 yards total. So, you know, they're not – and that's with the Bengal game, they ran for 188. So, you know, they typically can't run it. And when you can't run it, you have a hard time scoring touchdowns when you get down there. You don't have as much versatility. But they have a quarterback who's hot. So it's a big spread. I think it's a close game. I just think it's going to be hard for them – to beat the Ravens as well as the Ravens are playing right now. Yeah, we knew that weather conditions would play a factor in this as well with it being outdoors. Last week we had the Kansas City game. This one's not going to be as cold, but it's a high of 24 with the low of 17. The wind shouldn't be that crazy, 9 to 16 mile per hour with gusts up to 29 miles per hour. So maybe you'll get some random gusts, but the winds, they should be at least fine enough to be able to throw in and, and, and kick the football there. But yeah, it's... I don't really want to go against Stroud just because I feel like he might be one of those kind of guys that's special. But, man, to, to, to go ahead and take this team with a little points? bit. I, I think I'd lean that way, honestly. I, I, I don't have a bet in this one, but if I, if I had to bet it, I think I'd lean towards the nine and a half. Uh, just because Stroud is so good and that passing offense has looked really good. Now, this defense that they're going to go against is, is a monster, especially at home. But, I mean, we talked about Cleveland being a monster defense, and they went ahead and shredded them and tore them up to pieces. But I think this will be a little bit different of a but challenge. Cleveland, the fact had they that played them the at home, it would have been – Yeah. Had Cleveland played them at home, it might have been different. You know, and the fact that they played each other – and they've got the Cleveland game plan to work off of. I, I think this is a hard game for them. You know, look, they've only turned it over six times. Baltimore will put pressure. Baltimore will do a good job on their boots, all that. Strouds play really well. I think it's just this is the round, and this is nothing against the, the great quarterbacks that we're seeing. This is the round where Cinderella's slipper comes off, yeah. typically. typically. And, you know, this is when you're in this Elite Eight, this is what happens. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to make this comparison, but – I, I did think that with Cincinnati a couple of years ago, and we weren't really known to like Burrow being one of those guys, and they went ahead and went to Tennessee and got that victory there as a four seed against the number one seed. But that's, I think, a little bit different of a situation, though, uh, for sure. All right, let's continue. Saturday night, Packers at the 49ers. The Niners, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is at 50-and-a-half here, which weather should be pretty tame in this game as well. I do have a bet in this game, but I'm curious to get your analysis first. Well, I mean, look, I, I think there's a little misconception here, right? When you go through the 49ers defensively, you can move the ball. I mean, we saw Baltimore do it. You know, you can run the ball on them a little bit. I mean, they're 28th in, in expected points on rush defense. Their, their drop-back success rate, drop-back, and this is why they can't win close games in the fourth quarter, they're 20th. And, you know, their overall success rate on EPA basis is 22nd. So, you know, I think to me they haven't been as dominant as we want them to be. I think this is a game that's all about who's playing from in front. It's all about that. Who can get the lead and who can stay from in front. And I think every call is critical in this game. You can't let the game slip away from you. If you're Green Bay, you can't trail. You can't get behind by 14 or else all of a sudden you're going to have a hard time blocking them. Right. And we saw Dallas, who knows they couldn't play man to man against them, have to change what they do. San Francisco is a zone team predominantly. They can't play man to man against this team. And they can rush four, take away the throw down the field and make them have to work it and see if that happens. We've seen him. We've seen Love has success against Flores when he tried to do all that. We've seen him have success against, you know, uh, uh, Detroit. We've seen him have success against these teams on the road. They've been really good. But. This one's a little bit of a challenge. I think they move the ball, but then I think San Francisco's going to move the ball. Kyle's going to get into formations that are going to challenge the run fits of the Green Bay defense. And we're going to see some runs that get gashed. Now, they've played each other twice two years ago. Once in the regular season, Green Bay won that game, and then the playoff game in the cold where San Francisco won it. But when LaFleur knows a team defensively, it's good, but this defense San Francisco runs with Wilkes is way different than the solid defense that he faced two years ago. Or was it solid? It might have been D'Amico Ryan. Yeah, I think it was D'Amico Ryan's at that point, yeah. 
But no, yeah. that's definitely the point. To I bet the over. I went over fifty because I think the Niners are going to score and they're going to be able to find. They're they're going to exploit the Green Bay defense like the way that we thought Dallas could. I think the Niners will be able to do that, and I think that the Packers' offense will do just enough to get this thing over. The Niners, I think, clearly will win this game, but uh, I think this will we'll get a little bit more points than the market expects here. How about Sunday afternoon? Bucks at the Lions. Detroit with another home game. Home win away from going to the NFC title game. They're six and a half point favorites. Total forty eight and a half. 2016, 26 game last time. I mean, you know, they just kind of took the game over down there. I thought what's, uh, I thought Goff was sensational. He threw the ball really effectively. So for me, that this is kind of now you're playing at home. This Bucks team is better. That defense that that was down there when they played wasn't exactly. You know, it was a different. They weren't the same team, right? I mean, they were kind of they were coming off of a. You know they were they had a lot of injuries and they weren't really healthy. Now they're now they're healthy. They can cover, and Todd Bowles does a really good job. It was only week six of the season, you know, and so I kind of get the sense that 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 they'll play good. I mean, Goff threw for three fifty three in the game. He threw for you know couldn't run the ball. They couldn't run the ball on him, but the problem was they couldn't really run the ball in Detroit. And Baker had to throw it thirty seven times. I don't think that's the recipe. Baker was two for twelve on third down against them. I think it's a hard game for the Bucks. I think the line's a little bit too rich. It's a hard game for them. I think the line should be somewhere around four. If I leaned anywhere, I'd take the, I'd take the Bucks in the points. Sunday evening, Bills hosting the Chiefs. Buffalo a two-and-a-half point favorite, total 45. It's now or never for Buffalo, Michael. Yeah, I mean, it is. I don't understand it. You know, everybody's on the Buffalo train. The line finally went to three. Buffalo's not healthy. Like, we haven't gotten the Buffalo report yet, right? I don't know their injury report, but I'm scared to death for them. Like, the, you, you know, they played A.J. Klein the last game, right? They played A.J. Klein in the last game. I mean, Bernard did not practice with a bad ankle. Now, they say it's not as bad as it was, but it's not there. Rap wasn't practicing, right? They had to bring in a new punter, right? And so Rasul Douglas was limited with his knee. I, I, I would be on Buffalo here and lay the three, but I can't because of the injuries. I think they're beat up right now. Now, look, Josh Allen is dynamic, and he could take the game over. But it's so is Patrick Mahomes. And one thing we learned from last weekend, if it's cold, both teams will throw the ball. Yeah. Well, it's going to be warm for Kansas City. It'll be 26 compared to what they had to deal with last Saturday night. So maybe the Chiefs are out there in shorts and T-shirts. Uh, I, I like Buffalo, though. I think the red zone will be the difference in the game. Uh, I think Buffalo will convert just enough to finally go over the hump of the Kansas City Chiefs. That does it for us here on the pod. Subscribe, rate, and review as always. Enjoy the games, and we'll be back on Monday.